Now, if you've been here, uh, if you haven't been here in, in this series, we're talking about David and Goliath, and what we discovered in week one was that you and I are not David in the story of David and Goliath. I've been taught my whole life that if you just go out and get your five smooth stones and you get a sling, you can take down your giant. That is not true. We've discovered, if you've been here any amount of time, who is David in the story of David and Goliath? It's not me and you. Who is it? God or specifically the guy who died on the cross, what's his name? Jesus. Okay, thanks. Nate's going to put that up there now. So Jesus, we discovered that Jesus has already defeated the giants, right? Um, And so if you grasp this truth that Jesus has defeated all the giants in your life, you're going to breathe a whole lot easier when those giants start yapping because the problem is even though he's defeated them, they are not finally judged yet. They will be judged one day. They have not been judged yet. And so they yap their trap. And the only way to get them to shut up their trap is to realize that Jesus Christ has already defeated them. They have no authority over you. You just saw the verse. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And his followers are under his authority. So those giants have no authority in your life. I want you to say no authority, no authority in your life. And, and this is important because we've already looked at the giant of fear. We've looked at the giant of rejection. Next week is the giant of anger. The week after that is the giant of addiction. Jesus defeated them all by his perfect life. He lived a sinless life by his substitutionary death on the cross. And by that, I mean, if you do not accept what Jesus did on the cross, you have to pay for your own sins. And you'll stand before God someday and he will say, depart from me because I don't know you. But if you are under the authority and the blood of Jesus Christ, when you pass out of this life, you'll walk. Jesus, uh, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's how we know John Brown is present with the Lord. The moment his heart stopped beating, he walked into the presence of Jesus. And then his resurrection from the dead put a stamp on all eternity. There is none like our God. Now, today's giant might be the sneakiest giant of them all. It's the giant of comfort. And um, to get us in the right mindset, I have some pictures that I'm going to show you up here. And I want you just to say whether these pictures are comfortable or uncomfortable, all right? Here's the first picture. What is he even doing? How do you discover I can do this? You got mental issues, right? That's uncomfortable. I don't know why you'd want to do that. Okay, so he's uncomfortable. How about this one? Nothing says comfort like a love sack, spelled S-A-C, not with a K, love sack. They even, their their couches are called sectionals, not sectionals, S-A-C, sectionals, and they are awesome. Nothing says comfort like that, right? Okay, here's another picture. Does that lady look comfortable to you? If you were in her presence, would you be comfortable? I don't think so, because I think she's ticked or scared or something. I don't know. I don't want to know. All right, here's another one. This was 2013 on the Carnival Dream. We were with my mom and my sister. It's the last, it's the last uh, cruise we got to go with my mom and my sister before they passed away. And, uh, and this is Serenity. Serenity is the place that's adults only, and this is a little hammock. And Janie and I just laid down and went, yeah. And little did we know we wouldn't be comfortable for probably the next three years. And I, and, and I mean that because mom, dad, sis died six months after this. Nine months after that, Hannah attempted suicide, and, and we went through a, a time of, of incredible discomfort. Um, I got another one for you. Here's the last one. Does this look comfortable to you? If our church was flooded out today, would you be here? This is in the Philippines. This was after a flood, and the people could not wait to get to church. 
See, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to be faithful. And you need to know this because being comfortable and being obedient are opposites, complete polar opposites. And comfort might be the scariest giant of them all because because it's so subtle. Here's here's how comfort can be harmful. i got a few bullet points for you. If we choose the good thing but miss the God thing, and we do it all the time, it's a good idea, but it's not a God idea. You know how you know whether it's a God idea? God's idea is harder than yours. It takes longer. It's more expensive than your idea, but it's always more more beneficial to you. It's always more fulfilling. Comfort can be harmful if we slip into thinking it is my life to do with as I please. There's a rich man Jesus talked about in the scriptures, and he had all of these barns, and he said, I got too much for these barns, so I'm going to tear down the barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to stuff them with all of my stuff, and I'm going to live happy. And Jesus called him a fool. I'm not a deep theologian, but I know you don't want Jesus calling you a fool. He said, you're a fool because this very night your life is going to be required of you. Who's going to get all your stuff that you built your barns for? Comfort can be harmful if my number one factor in deciding what I do is simply whether it makes me happy rather than what makes God happy. The Apostle Paul in in 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, the love of God compels me, one translation. Another one says, constrains me. Probably the best one we understand is the love of God controls me. And I do everything I do based on will it make God happy, not will it make me happy. Because if I make my heavenly Father happy and I'm under his authority, ultimately I will have joy. I'm going to have some happiness in this life, but I'm also going to have some sadness in this life. But the the promise of God is if I'm under his authority, he will make it all worth it. And comfort can be harmful if, if comfort is sought ahead of everything else, including our desire to be available to God's plans. I'm not going to do that because I want to do my own thing. And then the last one is if we grow accustomed to our sin and fail to confront it and remove it from our lives. That's how comfort sneaks up on you. See, our chance to have a meaningful life is robbed by comfort. And so when I was thinking about this, here's, here's just an easy example. If, where do you think is the most comfortable place for a baby bird? In the what? In the nest. I have a picture of a baby bird. And I started looking at that hairstyle, and I thought, you know, if I worked for six months, this is what my hair would look like. I figure if I live long enough that I go into a nursing home, this is how some of y'all are going to see me, because I can grow about six, maybe 16 hairs. And if I, anyway, uh, I'm digressing. The safest place for this baby bird is in the nest, right? Because what does mama do? Mama provides everything, Right? And if you were to take a vote, if we were to take a vote today and ask all the baby birds, birds in the world where the safest place is, they would say in the nest. And I think they might even say, you know, we could stay in this nest forever. But mama birds don't give baby birds a vote, do they? What does mama bird do at the right time? She does this. I love this picture. Mama bird's like, you gone. It's time. No mama bird. Ah! Where is the most uncomfortable place for a baby bird to be, especially the first time? Out of the nest. What what does mama bird know that baby bird doesn't know? Mama bird knows the best life for that bird exists outside the nest. Your heavenly father knows that too. You see, Jesus is not in the business of flying back and forth to the nest to feed a bunch of baby birds. The Bible talks all the time about growing up spiritual growth, getting off of milk and getting onto the meat of the word. 
And one of the biggest tragedies in churches is when people are babies for decades. They're spiritual babies for decades. This should not happen by the grace of God. It will not happen at New Life because what happens in a lot of churches is we let somebody be a baby and whine and complain for 50 years, and then we elect them as deacon. Or then we put them in charge of something. That's the dumbest thing. I actually had a conversation with a guy one time. He said, I said, why in the world did you put that guy, as, make him a deacon? He said, I thought if I gave him a job to do, he'd grow up. I'm like, dude, he's never going to grow up. He said, yeah, I realize that now. Speaking of spiritual babies, in our story of David and Goliath, there's a spiritual baby. I don't know if you realize this. There's a spiritual baby in the story, and his name is Saul, and he's the king of Israel. Now, if you back up to 1 Samuel 10, 23, here's what Samuel says. God, so here's what happened. Let me tell you this before I read the verse. The, the Israelites had come through judges where everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and God had brought them through, and God delivered them, and God was their king, and they actually asked the prophet Samuel to be the king, and he said, oh, God forbid, I will not be your king. There will not be a king. And so God says, Samuel, they haven't rejected you as king. They've rejected me. He said, go ahead. We're going to fulfill what they want. And they didn't know it at the time, but God was going to give them a spiritual baby so that they would see what was going on. So Samuel goes to anoint Saul, and check what this says in, in 1 Samuel 10, 23. When Saul stood among the people. He was a head taller than anyone else. And then Samuel goes on to say, do you see this man that the Lord has chosen for you today? And he says, there is no one like him in all the kingdom. And the people said, long live the king. This is, I'm quoting from scripture. Yes, he's the man. Cause he was good looking. He was tall and inside his heart was filled with rot. And God says, you've rejected me. I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you a, a spiritual baby whose heart is filled with rot. But see, see, God knows what's going to come up in 1 Samuel 17. He knows he's, going to, he's about to show the difference in the people's king, Saul, and God's king, David. Men choose leaders with one checklist. God has a totally different checklist. In fact, he tells Samuel that. He says, don't look at the outside. Look at, he said, I look at the inside. And he chose David. And we know that David spent 14 years in discomfort, and that is an understatement. Living in caves, running from King Saul who tried to kill him. He actually goes and lives with the Philistines, the hated enemies for a while. He just lived in, in unbelievable discomfort because those years of emotional pressure were necessary to convince David that he needed God. So when we see David in the story, when he shows up to the battle lines, he's three to four years into, he's already been anointed the next king. The problem is there's still a king and his name is Saul. And David has no idea how God's going to move him from being shepherd to king. God knows, but God not, God's not telling anybody. So you know what David did? He continued to do the last thing he knew he was supposed to do. He was a shepherd. And God, in his timing, is about to elevate David in the eyes of the Philistines, in the eyes of the Israelites, and in the eyes of the known world, because everybody's going to hear about David. And here we are, thousands of years later, still talking about David and Goliath. So we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 17, verses 12 through 15. Now, David was the son of an, Epaph an Epaphrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem. Okay, just let, me ask, just let me ask, is anyone here from Bethlehem? If you're online, are you from Bethlehem? This is one of the ways I know that you're not David, I'm not David in the story. David was from Bethlehem. Who is the Messiah that also came from Bethlehem? Jesus, from the house of David. Bethlehem is, it means house of bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. This is how we know that you and I aren't David in the story. We're not from Bethlehem, from the line of David. But anyway, he was from Bethlehem in Judah, 
Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse was very, very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The first one was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. We should have named you Shammah Washburn. No? You'll take Caleb? All right. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David, listen to this, went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. He had already been working for Saul, and he's going back and forth. So, why was David at the battle that day? Because his daddy tells him to go. Look at verse 17. Jesse said to his son, David, take this half bushel of cooked grain and 10 loaves of bread to your brothers in the camp and take 10 pieces of cheese to the commander and to your brothers. See how your brothers are and bring back some proof to me that they are right. He said, I just want some assurance that your brothers are okay. Your brothers are with Saul and the army in the Valley of Allah fighting. Wait, 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 wait. How much fighting has been going on? You know the story. For how long? How much fighting has been going on? 40 days. No fighting. So if I'm David, I'm going, Dad, I've already been there. I think it's the same thing as last week and 10 days ago and two weeks ago and three weeks ago. But okay, I'll go. I'll go check it out. Your brothers are in the valley not fighting is what it should say against the Philistines. So the Bible tells us that when Goliath shows up each day, you know what Israelites do? They put on their battle uh, gear, they, they shout the war cry, they go to the battle lines, and as soon as Goliath shows up, what do they do? The Bible says they run and hide. The only man slash boy who ran towards the giant that day was David because he saw the true God. And I don't know if you realize this, David did in 40 minutes what his brothers and the rest of the Israelites failed to do in 40 days. So I need to ask you a question. Is there something going on in your life today that you've allowed to be there that is an offense to the living God? You've just been putting up with it. You see, the reason the brothers didn't do anything is they've just been putting up with it. Why? Because of the giant of rejection and the giant of fear. The giant's big and he's ugly and he's scary. And if you're only living by sight, that means you're going to die. So they're afraid of him. They've been told, you're not good enough. Goliath told them that. They believed it. So they weren't going to fight him. David does in 40 minutes. Actually, he does in about 40 seconds, but he had to be rejected by his brothers. He had to be rejected by King Saul, try on King Saul's armor. But then when David goes, the the battle is over in about 40 seconds because he trusted in the one true God. So I'm going to ask you again, what does God want to do in your life, your spiritual life that you've been avoiding? Because there's a giant there. And if it's not the giant of of fear, if it's not the giant of rejection, I think a lot of you here today and a lot of you listening online, there's there's a giant named comfort. There's a giant named complacency that is robbing you. Because if we're going to be honest, some of you are so used to your giant, you haven't done anything meaningful for the kingdom of God in decades. You don't know why? Because it's easier to live in your comfort. It's easier to live with your hurt, your habit, and your hang-up. Oh, I can't tell you how many times people said, well, I need to go to celebrate recovery. Well, why don't you? Well, uh, excuse. I'm, I'm, just, I'm used to my giant. I'm used to being ineffective for the kingdom of God. I'm used to not reflecting Jesus but reflecting my giant. If you want to get rid of your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups, today's the day to stand up and say, I'm going to do something about it. And do you know what allowed comfort in this uncomfortable situation, because I I think we see this in the text. 
the reason that the brothers didn't go and, and fight is because of DoorDash. As long as they stayed there, they knew David was coming back. I'm sure the other families did the same thing. Go check on your brothers. We got all kinds of food. We got a tent. We got a steady supply of food. We've been putting up with this giant for a month and a half now. There's no need to deal with this today. There'll always be tomorrow. You just keep bringing my chips and salsa, and I'll keep watching the show. But you're a loco, muy loco, if you think I'm going to face that giant. I'm going to go back to my tent. And I really believe that for many of you, your giant isn't, well, it may be fear and rejection, but I think that some of you, your giant isn't anger. Some of you, your, your, your giant isn't addiction. It's, it's comfort. The giant is going to steal your reward. See, the soldiers are like, we got each other. We got a roof over our head. We got some guacamole. You just keep the show going. So what I'm saying is a lot of Christians like to live in the nest. And if God's plan for us was comfort, then the moment, the moment we ask him to be to forgive our sins and the leader of our lives, he would take us straight to heaven. That doesn't happen, does it? It's because he has a job for us to do. You see, the reality of our being born again in Christ, the Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sin, and when we come to Christ, he makes us alive. So we're made alive in Christ, we're adopted into God's family, we're freed from the slavery of sin, and we're called to shine the light of Jesus all over the world, wherever we go. The reason we have those benefits is because Jesus refused the comfort that the enemy of God offered him. You see, Jesus, the enemy tried to derail Jesus with with comfort at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus goes out in the wilderness. He's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and it says to be tempted. God didn't tempt him. The the enemy of God tempted him. You remember when Jesus fasted for 40 days? The first thing the enemy of God said is, hey, you need a little comfort. Since you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, no. It's written, you shall not live by bread alone, but, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so he says, well, here's a shortcut. Let's take you up to the highest point in the, in the temple, which is about 300 feet above the ground. Let's throw you off of that because all the crowds are going to be there. You'll get a crowd because they'll, you'll do this miraculous thing for he says, he quotes the Bible. God says he will lift you up lest you bear your foot against the stone. He left out a phrase to guard you in your, all your ways, which means in your normal living life. You don't put, and so what Jesus says, you don't put the Lord God to the test. And he goes, okay, okay, okay. Let's, let's short circuit the cross. Let, it would be so uncomfortable to be on the cross if you'll just bow down. So he takes him to a high mountain, shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. And, and Satan had every right because he's the God, lowercase g, of this world. He had every right to offer Jesus everything in the world. He says, if you'll just bow down to me, and be comfortable instead of going to the cross. I'll give you everything. And Jesus said, be gone, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord and serve him only. He refused comfort. That's why you and I can have heaven. We sing songs. You're the way maker. We sing about the king of kings to reveal the word of God, the prophets. Oh, man, I love singing this stuff. Do we sing songs praising God because Jesus stayed in heaven in his nest of comfort? I don't think so. Do we praise God that that he's distant and uncaring? That's the God of the Muslims. He's distant and uncaring. And the reason you got to bow down three times and and worship and pray three times is because you got to try to get his attention. That is not the God of Christianity. 
We don't sing praises to a distant, uncaring God. We we sing praises to a God who says, my name is Emmanuel, which means God with you. He is with you. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death with you. We praise him because he gave it all up for for the glory of the Father. So I have this picture, and I want to just kind of describe this to you. There's a place where we are comfortable, and there's a place where something else happens. Go ahead and put that up there, Nate. I wish this didn't say where the magic happens. I'm going to say, I want to, I want to say where the miracle of God happens. And the miracle of God never happens in your comfort zone. The miracle of God always happens when you step outside your comfort zone because then he gets the glory. If it happens in your comfort zone, you get the glory and God will not share his glory with you. See, David... The story of David and Goliath was way more than a boy defeats a giant. He knew this was a spiritual conflict, and it's the same spiritual conflict you and I have on a daily basis. It's a conflict between the true God, the capital G God, and all other rivals. David understood that this this battle was mostly spiritual. And actually, the question that he was fighting for that day was, whose God is the greatest? Now, put the G there, because there's only one God. Whose God is the greatest? This is still the question that's at stake every day in your life. David was the only one willing to answer that question with more than words. He knew that this was a a contest between two gods. And actually, it was between the one true God and a merman. Dagon, this is who they believed. Half fish, half man. Do you know why there's never been any idols found for the Christian religion or the Jewish religion? Because the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship idols. And so like when nations would come and conquer other nations, they would take their gods because they believed their gods were temporary or or, um, territorial gods. And they would take them to the, so they would have, nobody ever got anything because they're like, your God, we can't even see him. And he goes, yeah, that's right. He's the immortal, invisible God, only wise. You're going to see him one day and you're going to want to know him before you see him. Because when he comes back on the white horse, something bad about to happen. David gets some smooth stones. He runs out the battle because he believed in the one true God, so he ran toward the giant. David blended faith and works. Faith just means we fight with confidence. But I can tell you that in my experience, so I'm, I'm 39 years into ministry. In my experience, comfortable Christians spectate with confidence. Give me some chips, give me some salsa, give me some popcorn, and I'll watch and I'll criticize the way you do church. I don't know if you know this, but Goliath was standing on the land that God had given to the tribe of Judah, right? So the Philistines are coming in saying, we're going to take your land, And, and God had given it to the Israelites. It had been stolen from God's people. So the very ground where Goliath is insulting the Israelites and insulting their God It was deeded to the people by the God whom he was insulting. And if you're a believer, the ground that your giant is standing on was given to you by your heavenly father. And you don't have to put up with it. And you have the right to say, be gone, Satan. In the name of Jesus Christ, you've got no authority here. The Lord rebuke you. And he has to leave. The real tragedy that day is that that Goliath's bluff was working. The Israelites were shaking in fear until David comes along, and in 40 seconds, he shows the power of the one true God. And I don't know how many battles have been lost 
in your life and mine because our motives are, are selfish. We call on the name of the Lord to protect our reputation. We, count on the, we call on the name of the Lord to free us just so we can be free, to make life easier, to prove we're right. God, show them I'm right. There's only one pure motive for defending the honor, and that is the defending the honor of God. That's the only thing that's effective is when we say, I come at you in the name of the Lord God whom you this day have insulted, and he will help me defeat you. Can, you t- can I tell you why? I'm, I just want to emphasize this point. Why Saul and the Israelites refused to fight Goliath? Comfort. <laughs> I think when Goliath came out, all the Israelites were like, nope, not today. That giant will be here tomorrow. And, and maybe, maybe if we wait till tomorrow, somebody will stand up. Somebody's going to get tired of this stuff. They're going to stand up and fight him. But I ain't fighting him. You go fight him. Maybe if we just ignore him, don't look at him. Maybe he'll go away. In the history of bullies, has a bully ever gone away because people ignored the bully? Nope. That's not how it works. So if you and I are going to defeat our giants, we've got to get out of our comfort zone and do something that honors God. How do we do that? Okay, four things very quickly. We have to remember some things. Number one, faith thrives in holy discomfort. I put the word holy in there because just to be uncomfortable, that doesn't mean faith is going to thrive. Holy discomfort is when you're doing what God has called you to do. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. I want you to think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody heard about them? Fiery furnace, right? They, they said, our God is able, even if, he is, even if he chooses not to deliver us, we will not bow down. So I want you to think about how comfortable they were. First of all, the king builds a 90-foot statue, says that when you hear this certain song, everybody bow down. And so they don't bow down, and somebody says, hey, king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not bowing down. So the king brings them forward. He goes, I like you guys. Maybe you didn't hear the, the edict, but I am going to give you one last chance. Bow down, or I'm going to heat the, the furnace seven times hotter than normal, and you're going to die today, so just bow. And they said, how comfortable was that? Not, thank you. And they said, we will not bow. So they throw him in, God delivers him, and then when they come out, what does is, what is the king say? Nebuchadnezzar says, the only true God is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. We're all going to worship him now. How comfortable do you think the cross of Jesus Christ was? Not. Unimaginable pain. I, I've, I've studied what doctors say happened. So if you, you know your, your funny bone, well, it's the same thing. When, when the nail went through his wrist, it's like it shatters your funny bone. And it wasn't the hand. The hand wouldn't have been strong enough to hold him up, but they called this whole section the hand. And so the, the nail went through his wrist, right through the bones, so that it would be strong enough to hold him so that when he had to push up it to breathe, he could breathe, whatever criminal. And so the reason that, that they would break their legs is they would no longer be able to push up and then they would suffocate. You and I are alive spiritually because of Jesus' discomfort. God forget. Forgive us forever singing about your discomfort while we live in the midst of our comfort. Thank you, Jesus. You set me free. Christ, my Savior, you rescued me. Now I'm going to sit over here and watch the battle. I'm going to criticize those in the battle. I'll refuse to go. I'll refuse to give. And then I'll get mad at God and new life when my giants continue to torment me. It's all Doug's fault. Let me tell you something. It's always Doug's fault. Whatever's wrong with your life, it's always my fault. Second thing we need to remember is the goal of our lives is the fame of God. 
David showed up and said, hey, Goliath, you're insulting my God. That's going to stop today. Do you realize why Jesus left heaven? Somebody tell me, why did Jesus leave heaven? Second is for us. That's not the highest reason he left. Somebody said it over here. Well, reconcile us, Father. Us is second. Glory of God. Let me show you. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, you know, it says, um, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but gave everything up and he left heaven and he became obedient, even death on a cross. Therefore, because he did that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. The reason Jesus left heaven was he was obeying and glorifying his Father. You and, you and I were secondary. Yes, he came to save us, but the number one reason he left heaven was to glorify God. And when we forget that, we make our spiritual, our, our Christianity about us, and it's never been about us. How many people glorified God on the battlefield the day that David showed up? How many? One. How many dishonored God on the battlefield that day? Everybody else. How many people that are listening to my voice right now are honoring God with your life? And how many of you are doing absolutely nothing for the glory of God? Because if I were to ask you, why why don't you serve? Some of you would say, well, I'm not very talented. What what you're saying is the God who created you is not big enough to, to help you serve his kingdom. Is that really what you want to say? Is that your testimony? God's not big enough to use me. God messed up when he made me. Is that your testimony? Why don't you give? Well, I'm broke. Well, I got a question for you. People ask me this all the time. They're in debt and they're like, I'm, I'm too broke to give. And when do you want God to be involved in your finances? After you get out of debt or while you get out of debt? Why don't you go on a mission trip with us? Oh, it's just not my thing. As respectfully as I can ask you, what is your thing? Because I can't tell. Last year we went to the campus. I'm going to tell you, one, two of the coolest things that happened in our church last year, one of them was when we went to the campus. You remember we went out to the campus and we had our inflatables and we gave away food and we gave away clothing and, and we had a pumpkin patch and people would, kids would run around, they'd get their stamps and they would get a pumpkin. And I'm telling you, that day I walked around, like, like when you were raising your hands a while ago, I walked around that day and I thanked God for New Life Community Church. Because we're different, I mean, right? Who, who packs all of this stuff up and takes it to Elkhart? Right, New Life Community Church, and I said, God, this church is awesome. God, you're awesome. Thank you for calling me to this church. One of the coolest things I've ever seen was when there were hundreds of us out there serving. But some of you sat that one out. And some of you are working, I get that, but but some of you sat it out because you fill in the blank. Why'd you sit it out? It wasn't a high enough priority. I get that. The Bible says if you give a cup of cold water to a child in the name of God, it is not wasted. And, and, we, and, and I hear that term thrown around sometimes. Why do we go out there? We're wasting. Jesus called Judas the son of waste. 
So be very careful when you use that word. We're wasting God's resources when we go to the campus. I don't believe we wasted. Those of you who were there, does anybody believe we wasted God's resources that day? Second coolest thing that I was a part of at New Life Community Church last year was handing a $20,000 check to Mount Olive Baptist Church this past December. I have never, I've been in ministry 39 years, almost 40 years. I have never seen a church give away $20,000 just because. And I want to do it again. Is anybody getting uncomfortable yet? If you're comfortable, you're not following Jesus. David showed up and he said, Giant, you've already been defeated by my king. Today, for the glory of God, I'm going to live out that reality for all to see. Third thing, we got to remember to go with God. You remember the first time Jesus went to the temple with his family? He's 12 years old, and, and the whole family is a whole bunch of people that come from Nazareth. And when they go back, they can't find Jesus. Three days they can't find him, so they're frantically searching. They go back, they find him in the temple, and Mary's like, Jesus, how can you do this to us? Didn't you know we'd be searching for you? And Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Literal translation is, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? How many Christians are about their father's business on a daily basis. Psalm 139, 24 says, point out anything in me that, that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. If there's a path of everlasting life, there's a path of temporary life. And I want to know which one are you on? If you're on the path of temporary life, it's the wrong path. Number four, we remember that life is short. God is big. I'll obey someday. I'll give someday. I'll go on mission someday. Complacency isn't about how much you have. It's about an attitude of the heart that says, I'm going to do it some other time. I'm not comfortable with that. So here's what I want you to see. Your life is like this match. How long is this going to burn before Preacher D has to put it out? In the scheme of eternity, this is how long your life is. And there is a way, there's, there's a sin that leads to death. And if you commit that sin, see, the Bible doesn't tell us what that sin is. It's different for you. It's different for me. I think maybe the sin that leads to death for some people is going to be complacency. Do you think that David's brothers, when they stood before God, do you think they regretted the 40 days that they wasted I think some of us are going to show up and we're going to have wasted our lives. They chose comfort to their shame. And if you choose comfort, it's going to be to your shame when you stand before your heavenly father. I think Saul would have had way more luck if he had burned the tents. You want to sleep in a tent? Somebody fight Goliath. You know that charcuterie board that, that David brought? Let's just, let's just burn it. You want to eat? Somebody go face Goliath, right? I think that would have worked better. When David obeyed that day for the glory of God, a whole nation gained confidence. And here's what I want you to know. How much more should we be confident because we live on this side of Jesus Christ's resurrection? Right? Somebody is watching you. A whole church, a whole family, a whole community could be changed if you'd get off your butt and serve. Complacency leads to inaction. Worship always leads us into action. 
I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but every giant is defeated when we worship and then face our giant. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. God, light a fire under New Life Community Church so that 10 years from now we look back and, and we say, one $20,000 check to Mount Olive Baptist Church, that's nothing. God, I pray that you light a fire so that when we go to Reagan Park in October and we give away food and clothing, that it far exceeds what we did last year at the campus. And that we have more people serving because they want to see you. They want to stand up to the giant of complacency and say, not today. God, make us, make us a church, make us an, a group of individuals that when we stand before you, each of us individually, and then even collectively as a church, you say, well done, good and faithful servants. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.